ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. You're listening to Breakdown, an exclusive podcast by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This season, Predator M.D., part of the Journal-Constitution's special investigative project, Doctors and Sex Abuse. You can learn more about the project and this podcast at AJCBreakdown.com. Previously on Breakdown. Hello and welcome. This is Dr. Narendra Kumar Gupta. I'm the medical director of the Diabetes Hypertension Center, and I'm going to talk to you about hypertension. So I'm laying on the table, and he's listening to my heart, and he tells me to unbuckle my pants and unzip them. Me being a patient, I... I don't know, so I do just that. When he reached in the pants, that's when I got up out my seat. At that time, if I knew what I was feeling was right, honestly, I would have punched him. Somebody between Ohio and the state of Georgia failed us. There she was, back in his office again. This time, she came alone, and the doctor would make another move. Welcome to Episode 2. I'm Johnny Edwards, an investigative reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I came across this case last year while working on a nationwide project about doctors and sex abuse. This case happened in our own backyard, but the whole story has never been told. Until now. In 2009, a sexual predator committed a crime against LaToya Kelly, which we told you about in Episode 1. Now, we're going to return to the crime scene, because that's exactly what LaToya did about a month after her own doctor molested her. It will literally mess your head up. It will. It will make you second question yourself on everything you do, every decision that you make going forward. This second time, her boyfriend, Terry Davis, didn't go inside with her as he did before. He dropped LaToya off outside Dr. Vinny Gupta's office along a busy thoroughfare in the suburbs north of Atlanta. It was supposed to be an easy appointment, LaToya expected to find out the results of her echocardiogram. She wasn't expecting for a nurse to tell her to undress from the waist up again and to put on a gown with the open section in front. LaToya got nervous. Maybe the test had found something. Maybe she was in worse shape than she realized. Her stomach sinking, she did as she was told. She sat on the exam table and waited. Finally, a knock on the door, and in walked Dr. Gupta wearing a white lab coat and slacks. As usual, he's very polite, you know, welcoming. You know, hey, how you doing? How have you been? Um, how was the medicines? Things like that. He did ask, where was Terry? At first, Gupta stood by the counter, looking over her chart. So afterwards, 
he comes back over and he comes in front of me and he's talking like he's trying to distract me. And he starts feeling around my neck at first. And then he starts moving down and opening my gown. And as he's coming down, he's asking, do you give yourself uh, self-breast examinations? And I'm looking at him and I'm like, yes. Latoya, of course, had no way of knowing what kind of man had his hands on her. She had no way of knowing that for months he'd been using his exam rooms to take advantage of female patients and that one of his office assistants was already compiling a list of women who had complained about being groped. She had no way of knowing that more than a decade earlier, Dr. Gupta had lost privileges at two Ohio hospitals after allegations of attacking and harassing nurses. Instead of reporting him to police, the medical community had shielded him by requiring that he get treatment for a psychosexual disorder. That's what court records show. He relapsed during treatment, according to his ex-wife's court testimony yet he continued practicing medicine. LaToya didn't know that Ohio's medical board had looked into Dr. Gupta and for some baffling reason found no cause to take any public action. What Dr. Gupta did to LaToya was typical of him, groping her under the guise of an exam, talking her into it, easing her into it. And he said, okay, well, do you know what to look for when you're giving yourself these exams? And I'm like, yeah, and the whole time he's talking, He's just going down and he's just filling on my breasts and just groping. And I say, yes, I do it pretty regularly in the shower. And he said, well, that's good. He was like, so you don't feel any knots or anything? And at that time, I noticed as he's groping my breast, he just leans his head back as if he's enjoying it. LaToya would tell police that the doctor raised her arms, pressed on the side of one breast, then went to the other and did the same. Then he grabbed her nipples with both hands and squeezed and twisted in a circular motion. He's not trying to feel for any lumps or anything. It's kind of like pleasure, rubbing. But just the fact that I'm sitting straight up and he's in my face and I can see the pleasure, especially when he lays his head back, that was it. I knew. And my only reaction was to either punch him, push him, or slap his hands. I didn't want to go to jail, so I slapped his hands. LaToya said Dr. Gupta backed away, just as the door to the room flew open and one of Gupta's nurses walked in. He told the nurse he didn't need her and to get out. LaToya wanted out of that room. She wanted to put her shirt back on. She wanted away from this man. He did something to me that I don't think any woman would feel comfortable. You just don't let no random person come up and start touching on you. This is not a man that I loved or not a man that I laid next to every night. I'm there basically in a room, helpless, by myself, taken advantage of. I felt that he used his knowledge and his power to do that. LaToya could have been spared this. How Dr. Gupta got into that position of power, despite a previous record of abusing women, is a story of male privilege and misogyny, of medical professionals choosing to protect their legal backsides instead of patients, of state regulators looking away. To understand what LaToya and the other victims got wrapped up in, let's go back to the beginning, the very, very beginning. Who was this man, this predator in a white coat, this MD who wrecked lives? Vinnie Gupta's path to becoming a doctor started when he dressed up as one for a high school play, back in his youth in Patna, India. Some family friends saw him in the role and told Gupta's father, your son looks really nice as a doctor, make sure he becomes one. 
That's the account Dr. Gupta gave to a freelance journalist who interviewed him for a blog in 2006. He went to Patna Medical College and gravitated to nephrology, the treatment of kidney problems. He graduated. He got married. He trained in Bombay in England before landing a spot in a residency program in Canada at the University of Alberta. He spent the first half of the 1980s there training in nephrology and internal medicine. Then he opened his own practice, one province over, in Regina, Saskatchewan, where he spent the late 1980s and early 1990s. There, in Regina, Dr. Gupta faced the earliest sexual misconduct complaint that I can pinpoint in public records. Remember when LaToya Kelly found out on the internet that her doctor had been accused of sexual misconduct by a woman in Ohio? Well, a decade earlier, that victim in Ohio had a similar moment about what happened in Canada. Marjorie Jacobs, the former nurse, said she was waiting in a hallway to testify against Gupta at Lima Memorial Hospital's secret internal disciplinary hearing when a hospital vice president casually mentioned that they knew about his problems in Canada before they brought him to Ohio. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I said, what did you say? Then he realized what he had said, that he spilled the beans. And he said, well, well, then he tried to backtrack it. I said, I heard what you said. I said, you guys knew when you brought him here and recruited him to come here that he had done this in Canada. And he said, well, you know, we thought he'd learned his lessons. I said, you've got to be kidding me. We only have details about the Canadian victim through court documents. From the pile of litigation that Gupta generated later in Ohio, Gupta said in a deposition that the woman was a rotating medical intern at Regina General Hospital. Her accusation? While Gupta was talking about a breast exam, he touched her breast. Gupta's ex-wife referred to the incident while testifying at their divorce hearing, calling it a sexual harassment case. Gupta, in two separate depositions, called it a minor episode that was handled internally by the hospital. He made this statement in a 1999 deposition. He said, quote, Once, I was teaching a student in Canada and, you know, I was teaching her how to do the breast exam and she felt a little bit uncomfortable. It was very simple that the program director called me to be very careful when you're dealing with people and when you're teaching them how to examine the breast, to be very careful. Have another male member present over there, and that's about it." End quote. That advice about having someone else present would be scrapped by Dr. Gupta over and over again over the next two decades. I asked the Regina Hospital if it could explain what happened. Yes, I realized that was a tough order considering this was almost 30 years ago. A spokeswoman said that she would pull Gupta's file out of storage. That was more than a month ago. I'll let you know if I ever hear anything. I also checked with Saskatchewan's College of Physicians and Surgeons, the Canadian equivalent of a state medical board. The agency had no record of any disciplinary history involving Narendra K. Gupta. How the hospital in Lima, Ohio could have known about those allegations when they recruited Dr. Gupta is unclear. Marjorie and her attorneys never could get the information out of the hospital during her civil lawsuit against Gupta. She says that in the hallway chat, the hospital vice president didn't tell her how they knew, just that they knew. He said, well, what can I say other than I'm sorry? I said, sorry doesn't pay this bill. Sorry will never pay this bill. On my working list of confirmed victims of Gupta's groping, harassment, attacks, or non-chaperoned intimate exams, that unnamed Canadian medical intern is victim number one. Victim number two is Marjorie. She's one of the women Dr. Gupta hurt the most. Her 1999 civil victory, when she won a $100,000 jury verdict, 
is of little solace to Marjorie now. She wishes she'd found a way to put him out of business or to have him put in jail. When I found out about those women in Atlanta, I blamed myself for that because I think if I had gotten the Ohio Medical Board to stop him, it wouldn't have happened down there. And and people say that's irrational. They should have stopped him. They should have taken his license. But I did everything I could, but I think should I have done more? Could I have done more? I don't know what I could have done, but... I don't know. I tried. I really did. I tried. I don't know. But I still have guilt. Marjorie is at the center of a colossal mess that Gupta left behind in Ohio. For me to find out who really failed to stop him and why, it meant sifting through the wreckage. I took a trip up to Lima last year. Gupta practiced medicine in this Midwestern Rust Belt city from 1993 to 2001. It's a working-class town, known for its oil refinery and an army tank production plant. The city, by the way, gets its name from Lima, the capital of Peru, but locals insisted on pronouncing it Lima. I called ahead to the Allen County Court of Common Pleas and asked the clerk's office to pull all their cases involving Narendra K. Gupta. When I got to the courthouse, there were four and a half banker's boxes full of records waiting for me. There were stacks of civil complaints, legal pleadings, countersuits, appeals, trial transcripts, deposition transcripts. There was a malpractice lawsuit, a hospital's accusation that a patient fell into an irreversible coma because of Gupta's negligence, which he denied. There was Gupta's $20 million countersuit, where he laid bare his history of being treated for a psychosexual disorder and losing hospital privileges. Yet he claimed members of the Lima medical community were conspiring to drive him out of practice because he's Indian. There was Gupta's lawsuit against the local newspaper, the Lima News, over an article about the malpractice case. There was also Gupta's messy divorce. All of this must have cost Gupta a fortune in attorney's fees. Then there was Marjorie Jacobs' civil lawsuit when she accused him of sexually harassing, attacking, and groping her. There were transcripts from the three-day trial. Here's Dr. Gupta on the witness stand explaining to the jury that, yes, he touched Marjorie Jacobs while they sat together at the nurse's station at St. Rita's Medical Center, but it was all innocent. I want to tell you that perhaps on two occasions that Margie and myself would be sitting down and the chart would be here or it would be on my lap or here, and like so. And uh, we'd be going through the orders and things like that. And in discussion, I may have put my hands on the lower thigh near the knee a couple of times? Yes, but it was never in a sexual way. She never resented. She never told me she was uncomfortable. She never told me that I do not want you to touch me. And it's fair. I mean, if a person doesn't like it, you don't like it, you tell me. You set the boundary, and that's, that's perfectly fine. My hands may have touched her lower thigh, but never in a sexual way, never was I told that she was uncomfortable. In his telling? He and Marjorie had been friends. He once asked her out to dinner, but she told him it was a bad idea because they were both married, and he accepted that. We went to the lobby area, and we were talking. I put my arms around her, gave her a kiss on the cheeks, and she told me that she was hearing all these rumors, which was making her uncomfortable, and I felt it was appropriate, and we discontinued our friendship, and we never had a friendship ever after that. It was gone, history. In Marjorie's version, the one a civil jury sided with, she never wanted anything to do with him. And then, he attacked her. 
I met with Marjorie at her home in Van Wert, about a half an hour west of Lima, near the Indiana border. She lives by herself in a farmhouse that sits between cornfields. Giant windmill turbines rise on the horizon. The inside of her house is full of angels, angel statuettes, angel candles, an angel tapestry. It's December, but these aren't Christmas decorations. They're remnants of her former career as a nurse, when one of the doctors used to call her the angel nurse and her co-workers would half-jokingly shower her with trinkets. As I got warmed by a wood stove, with one of her cats hopping in and out of my lap, she told me about Vinny Gupta. I lost my job, I lost my career. Put me in the hospital twice, stressed. Um, didn't help my marriage any, I'll tell you that much. For what? Because he decided to pick me out of all those people at St. Rita's. I don't get it. And I really don't know why. She first met Dr. Gupta around the spring of 1994, a few years after a headhunting firm brought him to Lima. Marjorie was the night shift supervisor for the coronary care unit. She was a slight 34-year-old. No nonsense, all business. Gupta was the junior member of a local nephrology practice. He handled late calls. They got along at first. Marjorie was a seamstress by hobby, and she took in some pants for Gupta. He insisted on paying her, so she said to buy her team a pizza instead. Oh, he was real friendly. He, he was telling us all about his life in India and how he came from a very wealthy family, that they all lived on a compound. But that friendliness morphed into something sinister. He would put his arms around me, tried to kiss me all the time, always constantly asking me out. I would be, no, no, this has got to stop. Um, I don't, he'd say, oh, why can't we have feelings for each other? I said, I don't have feelings for you. He said, oh, I said, I'm married, you're married. I just can keep it that way. He would say, oh, you know, just because we're married, we can still have a relationship. I said, no, we can't have a relationship. Nurse-doctor relationship's all I want. But he wouldn't let up. He called her at home, sometimes late at night, rattling her husband. She recalled being propositioned while they were trying to resuscitate a patient. He would turn and look at me. He says, can we go have a drink after work? We're in a code situation. You know, a patient's dying and you're supposed to be... He'd turn, turn to me and say things like that. It became so obvious, other staffers helped devise a system for hiding her whenever Gupta came around. He would usually visit another unit on the floor before going to coronary care. So when he left that other unit, the nurses there would call and say, your friend is on his way. Someone would erase Marjorie's name off the assignment board on the wall, and Marjorie would duck into the conference room or an empty patient room. It was an imperfect system, though. Sometimes he'd catch them off guard. In October 1994, Gupta asked Marjorie to help him with an elderly patient with dementia who was sitting up in a chair with a vest restraint. He wanted me to take the restraint off so he could listen to his heart and lungs, so I undid all that. And I heard the door close, so I thought he walked out. And so I was you know, leaning over the man, getting him fixed back up and put the restraint back on him. And I was just talking to the little man. Next thing I know, he was behind me. His arm came up around the front of me, and he grabbed me. He grabbed my breast and stuff, and it scared the crap out of me. And I jumped back, and I said, what are you doing? And it, he said, why won't you go out with me? I said, I told you before, I will not go out with you, and you have no business doing that in this room. I said, get out of here. I don't know. You just never get over stuff like this. You just don't. People have no idea what I've been through. 
what I went through as a kid and then continued with him. And I don't know, I went through so much stress during that time. A few months later, just before Christmas 1994, it happened again. Far worse this time. Sherry and Lisa, the other nurses on duty, were in room 10 dealing with a comatose patient with severe diarrhea. Marjorie was watching the heart monitors. The day shift had told her Gupta already made his rounds, so they weren't expecting him. Then Marjorie heard the door to the unit open. She looked up at the hallway mirror. It was him. Dr. Gupta asked her to join him in room four to help with another comatose patient. She couldn't say no. She left the door open, but Gupta asked her to close it. He listened to the patient's heart and lungs. He asked Marjorie to check his urine output, so she bent down on one knee to get a reading. Next thing I know, I felt his knees in my back. I said, what are you doing? He never said a word. He reached down with his arms around me and held my arms down. He pulled me up and over to the corner of the room. And the door shut. Sherry and Lisa are in room 10. And I just kept saying, what are you doing? He managed to work me around so I was facing him. And he had my arms pinned down in front of me. He held me down with one arm and it, with his left arm. And he, his right arm, he just had all over me. I mean, he just had all over me. He was trying to get down my shirt. And I fought. I was fighting with all I could to get away from him. And um, he was just rubbing himself as much as he could on me. And I fought. As it was happening, her mind flashed back. Back to her 12-year-old self when her grandfather molested her. She was a terrified child all over again. And I'm thinking, Sherry and Lisa are out there. They can't help me. I'm in here by myself. You know, there's just a whole lot of stuff going on. You think, God, I'm going through this again? She managed to work her arms up, enough to get leverage and shove the doctor off and escape from the room. The other nurses saw her, disheveled. Tears smeared across her face. Dr. Gupta scribbled something in a chart and left. One of the nurses picked up a phone and started dialing a supervisor's number. Marjorie pushed down on the hook switch. They said, this has gone on long enough. I said, you guys, please. I said, I'm doing this for your protection. And they said, the heck with our protection. They said, we have to do this for you. I said, we can't be doing this anymore. You can't go through this anymore. And I said, please just let me handle it. I promised them I would talk to somebody about it. But she didn't at first. There'd been a lot of turnover in the coronary care unit. Marjorie had a young crew. Doctors were finally beginning to put trust in their work and their expertise. If word of the incident got out, Marjorie feared it could undermine all of that. Plus, would administrators believe the word of a nurse over that of the nephrologist the city recruited so hard to get? About a year later, something changed her mind. A nurse who worked at the city's other major hospital, Lima Memorial, asked her to lunch. They met at a sports bar. As soon as we placed our order, and she said, you remember how when you told me about what happened with you and Dr. Gupta? And I said, yeah. And she said, I didn't believe you. And I said, yeah. She said, well, it wasn't that I didn't believe you. And she started bawling. And I said, until it happened to you, I knew right away. She shook her head, yeah. And she was crying. She started crying really hard. And I said, Dina, what did he do to you? That's when she told me what happened to her. I said, we can't let this go on. I said, we got to do something. Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com.
The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. The nurse told everything when Marjorie called her as a witness at her civil trial. I'm not naming her, since she didn't want to take part in this podcast. But she testified in court that her trouble with Gupta began at a Christmas party at Gupta's house in December 1995. There was dancing, there was people there. I danced with him, other people danced with him. Several occasions he pulled in a little too close. I backed up, said we don't need to talk that, that close. The next time I seen him at work, I was in the dialysis unit. He came over to where I was working. He said, I would like to talk to you for a minute. And I said, do you know what do you need? He said, over here. And I said, whatever you need to tell me, you can tell me here. And we kind of walked off into a little, it was a doctor's dictations room, but it was just outside the dialysis area that had a lot of traffic. And he said that he had fun dancing and that he wanted to go out to dinner. What time do I get off? What's your phone number? And I told him at that time that I was not interested in anything other than um, a working relationship. And, and I was married, you're married, it's inappropriate, and I just kind of laughed. Her story parallels Marjorie's in many ways. For weeks, Dr. Gupta constantly asked her out at work, not taking no for an answer, inappropriate comments, the hugging, the touching. Then he found her at the nurse's station one night, alone, closing up the dialysis unit. He pulled a chair close to hers and rubbed her thigh. He said he wanted to talk to her, and when she refused, he tried to force her into his office, grabbing her arm tight, pulling her hair, pulling her shirt. She feigned acquiescence and asked him to turn off the lights in a hallway for her. That gave her an opening. She darted into the women's locker room and locked the door. Then she waited and waited and waited some more. Thinking that he was gone and peeked out and there was nobody there, so I went down the stairwell and down the hall and I went out the doors to where we parked and I got a little way away from the door and I heard the door and I turned around and he was coming out the door behind me and he made some comment and he did say, where did you park? And I said, over there and I just went. I didn't change my clothes. I had my scrubs on. I still had my clothes in my hand and I, it was cold and I just hurried to my car. Dr. Gupta denied every bit of this on the witness stand. He said she was the one out of line when they danced at his Christmas party. So one of the comments that you were dancing was she said, hello, shorty. And nobody ever in my life has ever called me hello, shorty. She was very intimate, very flirtatious, very talkative. And about his unwanted touching and advances. It's making a mountain out of a mound. But there were several episodes that were happening, and I was trying to tell her that I was very happy about some of the things that I had seen her do on my patients. Here he is being cross-examined by Marjorie's attorney about her allegations. Did you hear Marjorie testify that in October of 1994, you groped her in room five in the presence of a conscious, though disoriented, patient? I did. Do you admit or deny that allegation? I strongly deny that allegation. Did you hear Marjorie testify that in December of 1994, you groped her in room four after checking the vital signs and urine output of a patient? You heard her testify to that, didn't you? I did, sir. Do you admit or deny that allegation? I deny them strongly in no uncertain terms. 
So why was Marjorie Jacobs making these allegations? I think it's part of an effort to drive me out of town. What it did do was drive Marjorie out of her career. In her civil case, she contended that Gupta's harassment reignited both her fibromyalgia and her PTSD from the childhood trauma. She injured her back trying to flip a heavy patient, and fibromyalgia made her neck inoperable. But she says that what really ended her nursing career was when the hospital president, Jim Reber, summoned her to his office. St. Rita's had revoked Gupta's privileges, but the president told her the hospital might put Dr. Gupta back on staff for a six-month trial period. The president said she would just have to cope and carry on, according to Marjorie. I said, do you understand this situation? I said, where I have to hide from a doctor every night? And it, it, it just escalated from there, and I ended up calling him every name in the book. I called him a bastard. I called him a son of a bitch. I, and I mean, I was screaming at him, and that's when his secretary came in, and she said, do I need to call security? I reached out to Reber, who's retired now. He didn't return my calls. Flipping through the pages of the trial record, I had to wonder the same thing LaToya did when she found that record of Marjorie's civil lawsuit on the internet. How had Gupta generated so much pain and controversy in Ohio and then managed to set up shop in Georgia? Why didn't either Ohio's or Georgia's medical board stop this from happening? Medical boards aren't forthcoming with information about doctors they've disciplined or investigated, something the AJC found repeatedly in investigating doctor sex abuse nationwide. Beyond public disciplinary orders, which sometimes have only vague information, most boards won't release anything. No handing over investigators' notes, no giving interviews about cases. I mean, nothing. Yeah, I know. This has been extremely frustrating. Take Ohio's public records. What's not there is revealing. There are no medical board orders on Gupta from the 1990s or early 2000s. This means the Ohio Medical Board took no public action against him for anything that happened while he practiced there. So what happened? Did Dr. Gupta's behavior toward those two nurses never get reported to the medical board? Did the medical board hear about Gupta but just never open a case? Actually, it looks like the board did know about the nurses. For all the documents I went through at the Lima Courthouse, one of the most troubling was in Marjorie's possession. When I visited her farmhouse, she pulled out a plastic tub from storage and opened it up on her kitchen table. Amid stacks of newspaper clippings on Gupta, court records from her lawsuit, transcripts, affidavits, and other unpleasant memories, was a loose, frayed business card. She said it was handed to her decades ago, and she handed it to me. It belonged to an enforcement investigator for the State Medical Board of Ohio. Marjorie told me that she and the other nurse talked to that investigator together for about an hour and a half in a back room of her fabric store after she had given up nursing. Marjorie said she always figured one of the two hospitals had reported Gupta, something hospitals are usually legally obligated to do if they sanction a doctor by suspending privileges. And that's why I say every one of those women has a case against the Ohio Medical Board as far as I'm concerned. Not only against him, but against the Ohio Medical Board because it never would have happened to them if they had pulled his license. Okay, so did the board find the allegations unsubstantiated and that's why they took no action? Or did they handle a case privately, as many medical boards do? I tried to find out. Of course, the agency itself would tell me nothing about Gupta's case, citing a confidentiality statute. The spokeswoman who told me no comment added something interesting in an email. She said that, back then, the board wouldn't necessarily have had jurisdiction over a doctor accused of abusing nurses, as opposed to abusing patients, unless there was criminal conduct or a violation of professional ethics. 
I can't say I follow that because a violation of professional ethics seems like a no-brainer here. As for evidence of criminal conduct, the spokeswoman said that a civil lawsuit like Marjorie's wouldn't cut it. No one in Lima ever reported Gupta to police, not even Marjorie. She said her bosses at St. Rita's Hospital ordered her not to during a tense meeting held at a long, empty conference table, them sitting on one end and her sitting alone at the other end. And they said, no, 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 don't do that, that we're going to handle this all internally. And then that's when they told me, they said, in fact, if you discuss this with anyone, I would be fired. I felt like I was on trial. I called one of Marjorie's former bosses, Dr. Charles Steinecker, as fate would have it. Steinecker was both St. Rita's medical staff director and president of the Ohio Medical Board around that time. He's retired now, too. He was polite, but said he barely remembered Dr. Gupta and he couldn't help me in any way. I reached out to the medical board investigator who talked to Marjorie. He's also retired, and he didn't return my call. John White, the president of Lima Memorial Hospital at the time, also said he had no recollection of Gupta or the nurses who complained. Fortunately, I found someone with a better memory. Lima is a quiet town, but I found one place hopping on a weeknight. Lima's new mellow mushroom is owned and operated by a local nephrologist. Dr. Norman Moser, who gave me a tour of the most intricately decorated mellow mushroom I've ever seen. The dining room is designed in an underwater octopus's garden motif with a life-sized yellow submarine. This is the only yellow, dying in beetles yellow submarine in the entire world, right here in Lima, Ohio. This was built in Sparta, Wisconsin by a company that does fiberglass. It's made out of fiberglass. You can stand on it, you can jump up and down, it won't go anywhere. So and I got my inspiration sitting over there in the bar. See it up there? Oh, the little toy? Yeah. yeah. So I took it to the guys in Sparta and I says, can you make me one of these? He says, yeah. He says, how big? I said, oh, 18 foot tall and 24 foot long. He says, what? I said, I want people to eat it. So this is what we wound up with. Dr. Moser's path from kidneys to yeast and pepperoni began when he had lunch with his stepdaughter at the Jacksonville Beach, Florida Mellow Mushroom, which has a dine-in psychedelic school bus. With the healthcare industry unpredictable right now, Dr. Moser's wife suggested they add another source of income and something fun to do in retirement. It's become a passion. Dr. Moser showed me a mural on the wall over the kitchen. Every mellow mushroom tries to pull some of the city into the restaurant. Phyllis Diller was born and raised here, so we got Phyllis Diller. And in her smoke trail are other remnants of Lima, like Glee was not filmed here, but Glee was set in Lima, Ohio, so we have the Glee hand. John Dillinger robbed a bank in Bluffton about 15 miles north of here, was captured and put in jail in Lima, only jail he ever broke out of. We got Lima locomotive. Lima's really big for as a locomotive. Plant but I had something ago. more pressing to talk to him about. He used to be a colleague of Dr. Gupta. When the medical board was asking questions about Gupta in the late 1990s, an investigator interviewed Dr. Moser. He recalled telling the investigator something crucial: that Gupta might have fondled a teenage patient. We stepped outside the mellow mushroom and sat in Dr. Moser's car. He told me the story: how a nurse came to him years ago. She asked him. Do nephrologists do pelvic exams? I said, no. I said, I haven't done a pelvic exam since medical school. I said, I would be disservicing the patient to do a pelvic exam because, A, I don't have privileges to do that for one thing. And the second thing is I haven't done it for so long, I'm not sure I'd be looking for the right things to look for, you know? So, no, I wouldn't do a pelvic exam. Why would you ask me a question like that? The nurse told him that her little sister had gone to Dr. Narendra Gupta for a urinary tract infection and wound up getting a vaginal exam with no chaperone in the room and Gupta not wearing medical gloves. 
And uh, the nurse that was describing this to me, that her sister was left very distraught about this and felt very ashamed of herself and felt very stupid that she had fallen for it. What did you advise this nurse to do? I just told her that that was inappropriate behavior and that she had a right to call the ombudsman or report him to the state medical board, neither of which she did. Do you know why she didn't? Probably out of fear. Dr. Moser told me that he recounted the story both to the administration at Lima Memorial Hospital and to one of his medical practice partners, who told him he'd take it up the ladder. Then, an investigator from the state medical board paid him a visit. This was many years ago, and his memory is hazy, but he recalled the investigator telling him he was looking into allegations of inappropriate behavior with female patients and staff, as well as questions about Dr. Gupta's ability to manage and care for patients. Moser said he's pretty confident he told that investigator the story about the nurse's sister. I'm, I'm not 100% certain, but he, he uh, uh, sat down with me. We talked about a lot of different things. Uh, most of them focused around uh, his uh, ethical standards. Um, I'm pretty confident I'd brought it up to him. The nurse's little sister still lives in that area of Ohio. She wanted to speak out, but she wanted to be identified by her first name only, Heather. In 1997, Heather was a 19-year-old college student, and she says she went to see Dr. Gupta for kidney stones, not for a urinary tract infection, as Dr. Moser remembered. Gupta had his own office by then, specializing in obesity problems like hypertension and diabetes. That wasn't Heather's issue, but she sought Gupta out because he had seen her the last time she had kidney stones, several years earlier, when he worked at a different office. She felt comfortable with him. So we got in there. I don't know. I can't remember as far as if he knocked on my back to see if it, you know, they usually knock on your back if you have kidney stones, see if that hurts. I don't remember if that's what he did. He probably did, being, you know, that's what they do. But then he also said to me, um, well, this could be an ovarian cyst. So we probably should check you for the ovarian cyst. And of course, I said, okay, you know, I'm at your mercy. You're the doctor. Heather said he behaved like any other doctor doing an exam, showing no signs that he was getting any pleasure out of it. But then, the rules about intimate exams suddenly hit her. Heather was well familiar with the rules because, at the time, she was studying to be a medical office assistant. So after that, I was like, oh, you did not have a nurse in here. You did not put any gloves on. And me knowing that, that he should have had both of those, I started to question, oh man, did he just do something wrong? And so that's when I, when I left the office, I called my sister right away, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And she's like, yeah, that's not right. That's not right at all. And I'm like, well, I didn't think so, but I don't know what to do. Heather says someone her sister contacted for advice warned her that if they went forward with accusations, Heather would be put through hell, placed on a witness stand, painted as a slut, made to feel like the whole thing was her fault. So she kept quiet. Adding to her confusion were the same doubts that would plague LaToya years later in Atlanta. But then I was like, oh, do I get somebody in trouble? What do I do? Could you accidentally forget your gloves? Could you, I mean, you know, I started putting all this stuff in my head being young. So of course I didn't go through with it. Now being an adult, I say absolutely I should have went through with it. I should have tried to get his butt in jail. He knew exactly what he was doing. You don't forget your gloves. You don't leave your nurse out of the room. Heather wonders now whether Gupta could have been stopped sooner had she reported him to police. From my experience researching dozens of cases like this, not necessarily. Doctors have all kinds of ways of wiggling out of these things. No physical evidence, her word against his, those medical boards that are supposed to hold doctors accountable, they're mostly made up of other doctors, and they often take their colleagues' word 
And whoever gave Heather's sister that advice about putting her through hell, she wasn't wrong. Dr. Moser acknowledged that he could have done more, more than just mentioning the Heather incident to a medical board investigator who was looking into something different. He said he should have filed a formal board complaint himself. Well, thinking back, I probably would have had a moral obligation and a legal obligation to have reported that to the state. Dr. Moser conceded that he was afraid, afraid that if he blew the whistle with an official complaint, he could end up tangled in litigation with Gupta. Absolutely. And Gupta would have done it. Had someone pushed harder, even if it hadn't ended Gupta's career, it might have created some record that would have warned future patients, like LaToya Kelly. After LaToya went to that appointment all alone, her boyfriend, Terry, picked her back up. He asked her what the matter was. She told him, and Terry was stunned all over again. Confused, disbelief. Believe it or not, even after Gupta had groped her a second time, LaToya still didn't get it. Not completely. Honestly, even after him groping my breast, some part of me still wanted to give him another chance. It was still like, okay, no, Coco, you tripping. He did not just do that. Even though you just slapped his hands because you did not feel comfortable, you still want to give him another chance because this is your doctor. He can help save your life. He can help prevent you from having heart disease or having long-term effects or having a stroke, anything like that. So I still gave him the benefit of the doubt after what happened until I called my mom. Her conversation from the car with her mother went a lot like Heather's conversation with her sister more than 10 years earlier. I called my mom and told her about the appointment and how it went. First thing she said, she said, Coco, that's not right. I said, what do you mean? Well, my mom, she's an expert with it because she's been seeing hypertension doctors for a long time. She said, they never asked me to take my clothes off. If anything, they would go under my clothes to listen to my heart. She said, but they're not supposed to do exams on you, put hands in your pants, anything like that. That's when I knew something was wrong. Still to come on Breakdown, an out-of-work nurse went to Dr. Gupta looking for a job. She says he demanded something in return. I said, if you don't let me out of this office, I'm going to start yelling. He goes, there's nobody here. I said, I I'm going to call the police. And he said, who are they going to believe? You've been listening to Breakdown, Predator MD, by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The story was reported and told by Johnny Edwards, produced by Richard Hallix. Audio is by Chris Basta of Bare Knuckles Creative in Atlanta. Music was composed and performed by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin. Additional music composed and performed by Chris Basta. Special thanks to Bert Roten, Sean McIntosh, Lois Norder, Buddy Hall, and Chris Nicholson. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. 
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.